Good morning, good morning. How are you all doing? Good, good, good. Man, what an amazing mystery have we come to celebrate this morning. And what an amazing love we see in the cross of Christ, this love. He, he poured his life out for us, and, and that's what we've come to celebrate. That's what we've come to look at in the scriptures. That's what we've come to celebrate in the supper, to sing together uh, about, to, to remind one another of so that we're strengthened uh, by Christ himself. This gathering is about feasting on and enjoying Jesus. And so I hope uh, that the spirit brings that about in your hearts here this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus 19, uh, Exodus 19, does it sound like I'm in a, like a, Sort of sound like I'm in a bucket, kind of, a little bit? Okay. If, if we can, I mean, not a big deal if we can't fix it, but if we can, it'd be, I don't know. All right, uh, so Exodus 19, uh, we're, we're going to read verses 1 to 6, and then we're going to flip the page and read Exodus 21 to 2. Uh, and so this is the beginning of our 11-week series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, this will take us into Advent in December, where we're going to be looking uh, at the birth of Christ, celebrating the first coming of Jesus. Uh, and, and so uh, the next 11 weeks, though, we're going to be digging into the Ten Commandments, and this is going to kind of be an introduction to the Ten Commandments. Uh, and, and, and so we'll just kind of introduce it this Sunday, and then the following 10 Sundays, we'll just take one commandment at a time. Uh, also, for the next two Sundays, we'll have two guest preachers coming in, which I'm really pumped about. Next Sunday, Dan Turner, who's one of the pastors at Clear Creek Chapel, will be here. Uh, and then the following Sunday, Nick Nye, who's one of the pastors at Veritas in Columbus, will be here. Uh, and those two gentlemen, along with uh, Jason Wing uh, at Apex, serve on our external uh, elder board that they help provide leadership, accountability, care uh, until we have an intern. Internal uh, elder board put in place. Uh, and so I'm very excited to, to hear from God's word from those two guys. And, and I count them as just some of my closest friends, love them very much, respect them a lot. Some of the most godly leaders I know. And so I'm sure that you're going to be encouraged by them. Uh, but for this week, uh, we're, we're going to have somewhat of an introduction to the Ten Commandments. And, and so we come to Exodus 19, where God is preve- uh, preparing the Israelites to receive the law. And then Exodus 21 to 2, which is kind of a, a preface to the Ten Commandments. Uh, and so Exodus 19, 1 to 6, and Exodus 20, 1 to 2. If you you would, why don't you stand with me uh, for the reading of God's holy word. Um, Let's listen with reverence. Let's listen with awe, because these are the words of God. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I have done to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The next of this 21 and 2. 
And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, you are holy. And uh, I I ask that you would help us uh, to truly see that this morning. That that there's no one like you. There's no one with glory uh, like yours. There's no one... uh, There's no one that has righteous character, holy, pure character like you do. Each and every single one of us fall short of your infinite glory all the time, every day. We we ask that you would help us to to see the weight of that here this morning, to see the weight uh, of what is revealed in these Ten Commandments, but then also see that that weight has been, uh, we, we have relief from that weight because of the work of Jesus. And so as we uh, open your word, would you help us to lift up the name of Jesus? Would you help us to see his, his goodness and worth and, and his justifying work? Help us to, to see him and to enjoy him, Lord. And God, uh, we ask that the words of my mouth, the meditations of, of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So Martin Luther once said that the one who knows the Ten Commandments perfectly knows the entire Scripture. Uh, That is a tall claim. Uh, But I also think it's a very, very insightful claim. Uh, And if he's right, though, it's also a a great cause for concern because uh, there's just a colossal amount of confusion about how we as followers of Jesus should approach the Ten Commandments, wouldn't you say? There's just a colossal amount of confusion. If I had to identify, though, the the two greatest errors or the two most common errors when it comes to how we approach uh, the the law in general, I'd have to say that there are two major equal but opposite errors. Um, There are two major common errors amongst Christians regarding the law, and these are the errors of either seeing the law as a burden or seeing the law as irrelevant. Seeing the law as a burden or seeing it as irrelevant. Uh, Some of us will come to these commandments and and they will be a burden because you will see it as a to-do list to accomplish if you want God to be pleased with you. Uh, it, it, to, to, to do if you want God to accept you. And you think that if, if, if God is going to love you and show you his kindness, these are the things that you have to do. You see that the Christian life is more about rules than, than anything else. And the problem is, if that's how you see the Christian life, then it will be nothing but a burden to you. An enormous burden, impossible to bear. You will be crushed under the weight of the law because you cannot foot that bill. You cannot uh, meet the demands that the law will make. It requires perfection. You can't foot the bill. God's law will be nothing but a burden to you if you see it as your way of salvation. The other side tends to emphasize the relationship uh, side, which when also completely discounting uh, the rules. You you may come to the Ten Commandments and say, I I have no need of this. The law is is irrelevant since Jesus came. Commandments, rules, laws are completely irrelevant to the Christian life. It's all about relationship. The law is irrelevant. 
And the issue with, with that is that every relationship requires a set of rules if that relationship is to flourish. Uh, like one of the, the rules in the Ten Commandments here, a, a boundary put in place, a rule put in place for your marriage to flourish. Do not commit adultery. If you break that rule, your relationship with your spouse will not go well. That, that, that is a, a good rule uh, to, to follow if you want your marriage to be healthy and good. And so we can't write off rules uh, as irrelevant for the sake of relationships. Now, the funny thing is, is that these two erroneous ways of looking at God's law are greatly perplexed when we read about how the Bible speaks about God's law. Uh, God's law is, is beautifully celebrated numerous times by the people of God throughout the scriptures. Uh, not a burden, but, but not irrelevant. Rather, it's celebrated as a blessing, and it's extremely useful. Uh, let me run through just a few examples here. I, I pulled out from Psalm 119. Psalm 119, where David just launches into 176 verses, the longest psalm in all the Bible, about how he loves God's law. Listen to what he says about the law and the commandments of God in Psalm 119. In verse 20, David prays, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Uh, In verse 72, he prays, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold or silver pieces. In Psalm, uh, in Psalm 119, verse 127, he says, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. He's, he's saying, I, I would uh, pursue your commands more than I pursue wealth. I, I, I would rather have and obey your commands than win the lottery. I love your commands more than I love wealth. Or I love this in in verse 131. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. David is saying, just like I physically thirst for water, I thirst for your commandments. They're like water. They're refreshing. I long for them. I, I, I thirst for them, Lord. It's much different than seeing the law as as a burden or seeing it as irrelevant, isn't it? This is something else altogether. And so what I hope to show you this morning and in the next 11 weeks is that the Ten Commandments, they're worthy of your delight, that you should give yourself to a wholehearted pursuit uh, of, of obedience to these commandments, not out of mere duty, but out of delight. They're, they're better than wealth. They, they should consume our thoughts. Our, our, our soul should be filled with longing for them. We should thirst to know and obey them. And so my hope and prayer is that you walk away this morning, you walk away at the end of these, this, this series with a conviction that the Ten Commandments are God's gracious gift to his people. The Ten Commandments are God's gracious gift to his people. So to help us see that this is the case, we're going to simply introduce them for the next few minutes. And we'll, we'll do that by walking through this outline. Uh, it's in your bulletins. So number one, the story of the Ten Commandments. Number two, the benefits of the Ten Commandments. And number three, the Lord of the Ten Commandments. The story, the benefits, and the Lord. Uh, now, you probably know this, starting with the story, uh, but the book of Exodus doesn't begin with the first commandment. Uh, it doesn't start with Exodus 20, verse 3. There's, there's a whole story leading up to this, told in the first 19 chapters. Um, and, and honestly, if you're not familiar with it, I would encourage you, go back and read those 19 chapters in Exodus uh, this week. And, and, and I think what you'll do, uh, what you'll see if you do that, 
is that this story in which we find the Ten Commandments is one of redemption. It's one of grace. It's, it's one in which God is so filled with love and desire for his people that he rescues them from the tyranny of a wicked king and brings them to himself. And that's what we see here in chapter 19, verse 4. God reminds the Israelites of this story. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And so he reminds them, I I, I rescued you. I redeemed you from slavery. I bore you on eagles' wings. I brought you to myself. And that's a, a beautiful picture, isn't it? And when I read that, because I'm a nerd, I immediately think of the Hobbit, uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say that. Um, And how at the end of the 17th chapter of The Hobbit, uh, they're surrounded by goblins. Things seem their worst. I mean, all hope is lost, it seems. It actually says Bilbo thinks to himself, well, it won't be now until the goblins win the gate and we're all slaughtered or driven down and captured. They're hopeless. And even Gandalf is, is hopeless. He's sitting there, blank stare on his face, looking off into the distance. All is hopeless. All is lost. And then Tolkien writes this beautifully. The clouds were torn by the wind, and a red sunset slashed the west. Seeing the sudden gleam in the gloom, Bilbo looked round. He gave a great cry. He had seen a sight that made his heart leap. Dark shapes, small yet majestic against the distant glow. The eagles... The eagles, Bilbo shouts, the eagles are coming. And if you've ever seen the movie or read the book, you know just the the relief that comes when the eagles are coming. When things seem their worst, the the eagles came, they wrecked their enemies and, and, and rescued them. And I can't help but think that Tolkien might have had uh, Exodus 19 in mind when he wrote that. This is a picture of the rescue that God accomplished for the Israelites out of Egypt. When, when things seemed their worst, the tyrant king, Pharaoh, demanded that they worked and worked. He, he said, bricks, bricks without straw, bricks without straw. He, he claimed the right over their property. He claimed the right over their children by commanding that, the first, that, that the, uh, any son born to a woman of an Israelite is to be killed. He, he, he uh, demanded right over their marriages, over their property, over their very lives. He owned them. They were slaves. And God comes and rescues them, doing all the work of redemption himself. The Israelites didn't lift a finger. God did it all. It was all by his grace. He provided the lamb. He, uh, he did the, the miracles. He, he worked the judgments. He did it all. It was all by his grace. And then he gives them these ten commandments. Look at uh, verse 5 of chapter 19. He says, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, I've rescued you, now, therefore, obey me. This is God saying, I am your redeemer. I am your rescuer. Therefore, obey me. Be my kingdom of priests. Be to me a holy nation. And so we can't reverse that order. It's always been and always will have to be rescue and then commands of obedience from a place of gratitude. Tim Keller illustrates this truth in his sermon on Exodus 19. He says, if you, have, if you had gone up to an Israelite as they were traveling through the desert and asked them, who are you? Uh, they would likely tell you their story. And their story would go something like this. I was in bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. 
our mediator led us out of captivity and we crossed over into freedom. And now we're on our way to the promised land, but we're not there yet. He has given us his law to make us a community. He has given us the tabernacle because we have to live with grace and and forgiveness. And he's going to stay with us until we get home. His presence is in our midst. That's what an Israelite would say. And that's exactly what we would say here this morning as followers of Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is our lamb whose blood we've taken shelter under. He is our mediator that led us out of captivity and into freedom. He's given us his law to make us a community. He's given us his presence to help us to grow in grace and holiness. And and we're on our way to the promised land, but we're not there yet, but he's with us. His presence is in our midst. And so it's as people of this story, as people who have received this grace and redemption that the Israelites and now we come to the Ten Commandments. We don't receive these commands uh, for redemption, but because of our redemption. God calls us to obedience, not in order to be accepted, but because we've already been accepted. It's in this story of redemption and rescue now that we come to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 20. And the the Israelites are here uh, for almost a year. They're here for 11 months and a few days. uh, And and this is where they stay for the rest of the book of Exodus. They stay here for the entire book of Leviticus. And then they leave uh, in Numbers 10. They're at Sinai that entire time. But God begins their time there with speaking directly to them. These 10 commandments. You might have noticed that in Exodus 20, verse 1, and God spoke all these words, saying he didn't use a mediator for these commandments. He speaks directly to them. uh, And this is what he says. Let's just go ahead and and list these Ten Commandments. This is what God tells them. He, He begins with the preface, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. These are the Ten Commandments. This is what God spoke to his people at Mount Sinai, and we should be extremely thankful that he did. Uh, Because, honestly, I, I wholeheartedly believe that the giving of these Ten Commandments are great. It's a gracious gift from God. We, we looked at how this takes place within a story of grace, but even in giving us these Ten Commandments, it's gracious in and of itself. And that might sound odd to you, especially if you see the law as a burden or as irrelevant. You might not think of the Ten Commandments as, as being a, a gracious gift from God, but 1 John 5, 3 speaks to this. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments there's the relationship part. And then he goes on and says, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's it's within this context of loving relationship that we receive the the Ten Commandments and they're gracious. They're not burdensome. 
They're not irrelevant. They're not burdensome. They're a good and gracious gift. In fact, Paul writes in uh, 1 Timothy 1.8 that the law is good. But then very interestingly, he, he, he adds this stipulation. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. So it's a good and gracious gift if we use it the right way. So how should we use the law? What, what benefits should we look for in these commandments? And so we're, we're actually going to walk through four benefits. Each commandment uh, communicates, conf, uh, confronts, comforts, and calls. Each commandment communicates, confronts, comforts, and calls. They, are, they all start with C for your convenience. And uh, we'll just walk through these four C's. <laughs> so, <laughs> stop it. Uh, Firstly, each commandment communicates. They each communicate to us about the righteous and holy character of God. They reveal God's good character to us. Now, every law does this, if you think about it. Uh, every law speaks to you, communicates to you about the one who is giving the law. Like, think about the laws in our city. Um, the, the city of Dayton has laws against petty theft. Uh, for example, it's illegal to exert control over someone else's property, either through coercion or, or force or, or uh, through deceit. Uh, I, I looked it up, actually. I, I know this. And so what, what does that tell us about the city of Dayton then? That tells us that the city of Dayton values private property ownership. Uh, the, the law tells us that something about our city in which we live, and in the same way, each of the Ten Commandments tells us something, communicates to us uh, something about who God is, what he values, what he wants for us. Only one who highly values marriage could command us to not commit adultery. Only one who highly values the parent-child relationship could command us to honor our parents. Only one who highly values human life and sees it as precious could command us to not murder. And so we'll see this as we walk through the rest of the Ten Commandments, as we walk through them. Each one of them shows us something particular about the character of God, about who he is, what he values, what he wants for us. And something that they all show us all together is that God is a holy God. His character is righteous. His character is pure. He is holy. He's a God of righteousness. He's so pure, so righteous, so holy that when the Israelites come up to the mountain in Exodus 19, he tells them, don't touch the mountain. I will consume you because you are unholy and I am so holy. I will consume you. Don't touch the mountain. They're too sinful that if they come too close, God will consume them. He's so holy that unholy things can't be in his presence. He's so pure and righteous that impure and unrighteous things can't be in his presence. He's a holy God. But they also show us that he's a God of love too, right? You know, it's often noted that there are two tables here to the Ten Commandments. The, the first table with commandments one to four teach us how to, uh, how to relate to God. They actually teach us uh, how to uh, obey the, the first greatest commandment in Deuteronomy 6.5 that God gives. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then the last six commandments uh, is the second table. And they summarize how we should relate to our neighbors. Uh, they, they, they sum, uh, a good summary of them is Leviticus 19.8. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two laws summarize the Ten Commandments for us. And the Ten Commandments unpack how we may obey these two summaries of the law. 
And so the Ten Commandments, they're all about love. We, we love God by worshiping him and him alone, using his name properly, by resting in and spending time with him. We, we uh, love our parents by, by honoring them. We, we love our spouses by being true to them. We love our neighbors by protecting uh, life and, and respecting their property and telling them the truth. And how loving is it of God to give us these commandments, to rescue us and then teach us this way of love, loving him and loving others? These commandments show us that God is holy and that God is love. And that brings us to the second C. In communicating that God is holy and God is love, each commandment also shows us that we're not. Uh, that we're not holy, we're not loving. And so because we're not holy, because we're not loving, God graciously confronts us in our sin like only a true friend would. A true friend will tell you you're wrong when you're wrong. And a true friend, uh, it, God is a true friend. He graciously does that by giving us these commands. What type of people need to be told not to murder and steal and commit adultery? The type of people that do those things. If you own a lawnmower, you've probably noticed how most of them, especially newer ones, come with this instruction placed somewhere to not touch the blade when it's moving. Have you seen that? Most of them come with that instruction somewhere. It could be on the mower or in the instruction manual. Uh, But sometimes it even comes with a little picture with the blade moving and a hand moving toward it. And there's a slash through it, just in case you don't get it. It says, don't touch this blade. And if you're anything like me, you might wonder, who needs to be told that? But the reason that that's there is because someone did that very thing, right? Someone touched the blade when it was moving like a dummy. They place their hand in the way of this moving blade. So we're told not to do this thing because people indeed do that very thing. And the Ten Commandments come to us in in the same sort of way. They're a mirror held up to our face to show us how ugly we really are, how sinful, how wretched, how selfish, how idolatrous, how, how murderous we really are. We're not holy. We're not loving. This is ultimately uh, why if you see the law as a means of salvation, it will be an unbearable, an uh, unimaginably heavy burden for you to bear. Uh, The the law is not a means of salvation uh, for this very reason. And the problem is not with the law. The, the, The problem is with us. We stand before the Ten Commandments as people who have disobeyed each one in either thought, word, or deed. We stand before God condemned if we stand in our own righteousness. But thankfully, God does not leave us to be confronted by his commands only. But he also teaches us to run to him for comfort in each one of them. Each commandment also comforts us with the promise of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. If you look closely, you dwell these commandments, you also see wonderful promises. Uh, For example, the first commandment, Exodus 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. It's a command, obviously, you're not to have any other gods before the Lord God, the one true God. But the the way it's worded also gives us a promise. You shall not, you will not have any other gods before me. God is promising a time when the people of God will indeed not have any other gods before him. You will not have any other gods before him. How can he promise that? 
Because in his wonderful and gracious plan, he sent Jesus to fulfill the law perfectly and then write it on our hearts by his spirit. In Jeremiah 31, 33, we see God make this promise. Listen to this. It's wonderful. It's the promise of the new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Day has come through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and through his sending of the Holy Spirit to us. We're, we're, no longer are these commandments merely written on stone tablets or on the pages of our Bible. They're written on our hearts if we trust in Jesus. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, these commandments that we will pour over in the coming weeks, they're not just on these pages, they're on our hearts, they're inside of us. We're given grace and power to obey them. We're given life and freedom to enjoy them and obey them. And it's because of this grace and power given to us in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that we're then called to obedience. We're called in each one of these to obedience. The last C. Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle once said that the Ten Commandments are a friendly guide uh, in our pursuit of growth in Christ-like character. Many have thought of, of God's commands as, as being more like a, a, a prison cell. That If you don't trust in Jesus, though, they, they truly are. But for those justified by Christ alone, for those in the new covenant, they become a wonderful God. One pastor talked about how, uh, how some have seen God's commandments as binding and, and imprisoning because they define uh, freedom as being without restriction. But as he notes, freedom isn't living without restriction. It's living with right restrictions. Uh, if you see a goldfish in a tank, you don't think, man, that poor goldfish bound and restricted by all that water just needs to be set free. What happens if you free that goldfish by taking it out of the water is you kill the goldfish. In the same way, God graciously gives us his law, his right restrictions for our protection and freedom for our life and flourishing and that of our neighbors. And so we come to each commandment knowing that they've, been, they've not been given to us by a tyrannical king like Pharaoh, but by our good father who loves us as his children, who cherishes us, who wants us to live in true freedom. And in the freedom of loving him and loving our neighbors. And so we, uh, I love this, as Abraham Kuyper puts it beautifully, we adjust ourselves to God's commands, not by force, as though they were a yoke of which we would like to rid ourselves, but with the same readiness with which we follow a guide through the desert, recognizing that we're ignorant of the path, which the guide knows, and therefore acknowledging that there's no safety but in closely following in his footsteps. So these commandments are not burdensome. They're not irrelevant. They're given to us a free people for us to continue to live in freedom. These 10 commandments are a gracious gift from God because they communicate, they confront, they comfort, and they call. But the best part of all concerning these 10 commandments is that God just doesn't just give us these 10 commandments. He also gives us himself. Now, this is our last point. We'll be closing with this very shortly. The Lord of the Ten Commandments. In chapter 20, verse 2, it says, I am the Lord your God 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So not only is God a God who so graciously redeems and frees us in this story, not only does he so graciously give us these Ten Commandments to show us what living in this newfound freedom looks like, but he gives us himself. I am the Lord, your God. And we see him here use the covenant name Yahweh. That's what's represented when we see uh, the word Lord in all capital letters like that. The God who gives us these commandments is the same God who gives us his name. He gives us himself in relationship personally. He's not a distant God shouting demands down from heaven, shaking his fist. He's a God who condescends and descends upon Mount Sinai here to graciously meet with his people. And in the following chapters of Exodus, he gives them instructions about building a tent in which he would dwell among them and travel with them. He's a God who gives us himself. And this is most clearly seen when the same God, Yahweh, who gave us these commands, who gave us his name, also gave us his present and intent, also gives us his son. As Stanley Hauerwas says, the, the God who gives the Ten Commandments is the same God who gives us a Savior born of a virgin. And this Savior, on another mountain, uh, not, not Sinai, but Golgotha, there would display for us perfectly what following these Ten Commandments would look like. He showed us perfectly what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He did it by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he also shows us what it looks like to love our neighbors as ourselves. He gives himself completely in an agonizing death to save not just his neighbors, but his enemies, those who put him there. He, he loves us. He loves God to the end. He shows it fully on the cross. He takes the cup that God gives him and he drinks it to the last drop, showing us he loves us. He loves God. He proved it by suffering on the cross. He's the ultimate law keeper. He's the ultimate law keeper. In fact, as he said in Matthew five seventeen, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in fulfilling it, he, he did, he, he fulfilled it by obeying it completely and then by giving us its truest meaning, its real purpose. So now because of him, lawbreakers like us are counted righteous in him. We've broken every single one of the Ten Commandments in thought, word, or deed. And we're now seen because of Jesus as people who have kept all of them perfectly. We're murderers, Adulterers, thieves, idolaters, Sabbath breakers were all counted as faithful sons and daughters of God, as a royal priesthood in Christ Jesus, God's treasured possession in Christ Jesus. If we trust in him, he leads us in this ultimate exodus. Not merely rescuing us from slavery to Egypt, but from slavery to sin. He rescues us not from metal chains, but from the chains of unrighteousness and sin. And now because of him, we're truly free. We're God's treasured possession. We're a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, all because of what Jesus has done. We're free to obey the law now. And so as we look at the Ten Commandments in these coming weeks, I want us to be reminded as followers of Jesus... But these commands do not condemn us now any longer. 
because we're covered with the very righteousness of Christ. And know as well that these laws now are not merely written on the pages before us, but they're written on our hearts. God gives us these commandments as his beloved children. So now, because of what Jesus has done, the law is a gracious gift. Let's pray together. Father, uh, would you help us uh, to be able to say with David, oh, how we love your law. Would you help us uh, to give ourselves to this wholehearted pursuit of obeying these Ten Commandments. Lord, and we also pray that, that uh, along with David, again, that, that as we uh, look at Exodus 20 in the next uh, uh, 11 weeks, would you open our eyes that we would behold wondrous things from your law. Lord, help us to see your glory and our guilt, but your wonderful grace and then what our response of gratitude should look like. Would you sanctify us in your truth, Lord? Your word is truth. Exodus 20 is your truth. So would you help us to, to, uh, to come to the Ten Commandments, to see them in light of who Christ is and what he's done and how they now apply to us today. Lord, we need your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this time of communion, uh, let's come rejoicing because God, uh, who hosts this meal, he came down to us in love. He gave us his son on the cross. This meal is a visible reminder of that gracious gift that God has given us in his son. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I, I ask, uh, we ask that you would not come forward to receive this meal. This, this meal doesn't mean anything to you uh, if, if you don't uh, follow Jesus. But if you would like to, if, you, if you're curious to learn more, come speak with me, come speak with another leader. I'll be in the back if you want to come talk. Or if you don't want to do that, uh, just sit back in your seat, watch what is happening in this meal, watch what is taking place here. Think about what, what is signified in the breaking of this bread? What is signified in this, in this uh, cup? here uh, and, and what is represented uh, as Christ's blood was spilled and, and, and what's taking place here but we do ask that if you have not been uh, baptized as a follower of Jesus that you do not come forward to receive this meal but if you're a baptized follower of Jesus trusting the work of Jesus as your salvation and that alone you're invited to come forward and, and receive this meal so on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he lifted the cup and he said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. Take and drink this in remembrance of me. The communion service can come forward.